0: Welcome to Isaac Watt Heresies on the Trinity and Person of Jesus Christ Exposed from the Appendices of an Apology for the Book of Psalms in Five Letters addressed to the Friends of Union in the Church of God by the Rev. Gilbert McMaster, Doctor of Divinity, as read by Michael Wyatt. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books, There is no copyright on this material and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources as well as our complete mail order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L 3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection, and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add, that's A-D-D at S-W-R-B dot com with the word add in the subject line. And now to the reading of Isaac Watts' Walk, Isaac Heresies on the Trinity and Person of Jesus Christ Exposed, which we pray you find to be a great blessing and which we hope draws you near to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaac Watts Heresies on the Trinity and Person of Jesus Christ Exposed from the Appendices of an Apology for the Book of Psalms and Five Letters Addressed to the Friends of Union in the Church of God by the Rev. Gilbert McMaster, Doctor of Divinity, 4th Edition, Philadelphia, Daniels and Smith, 36 North Street, 1852. What were the opinions of Dr. Watts on the subject of the Trinity and person of Jesus Christ? It would be pleasant indeed could we find him among the sound divines of England. But there it is believed his works will not allow him to be placed. If any be disposed to distinguish between the practical faith of his heart and the speculative articles of his creed, I have no objection. Believing, however, as I do, that God has not constituted us, arbiters of the state of men, I have only to do with the latter. Upon the former it is not mine to decide. The doctor's sentiments concerning the Redeemer will be found in his Discourses on the Glory of Christ. The addition of the Discourses now before me is that of 1746, but a little more than a year before the author's death. There you will find him zealously maintaining that the human soul of Christ, created before all the worlds is the Lord from heaven, spoken of, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47. And that's a footnote on page 175 and 176. That in the image of this pre-existent spirit, Adam was created, that's a footnote, page 203. That the sonship of Christ belongs exclusively to his human soul, that's page 201 that the covenant of redemption was not made with a person who was the Father's equal, but with this created spirit. Footnote, pages 180 to two, and 225. Such are some of the views which this author supposes would make the Bible more defensible. His opinions on the doctrine of the Trinity may be gathered from the following address to God. Quote, Dear and blessed God, Hast thou been pleased in any one plain scripture to have informed me which of the different opinions about Holy Trinity among the t- contending parties of Christians had been true, thou knowest with how much real satisfaction and joy my unbiased heart would have opened itself to receive and embrace the divine sco- discovery. Hadst thou told me plainly, in any single text that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three real distinct persons in thy nature, I had never suffered myself to be bewildered in so many doubts, nor embarrassed with so many strong fears of assenting to the mere inventions of men instead of divine doctrine. But I should have humbly and immediately accepted thy words so far as it was possible for me to understand them as the only rule of my faith or had thou been pleased so to express and include this proposition in the several scattered parts of thy book from whence my reason and conscience might with care find out and with certainty infer this doctrine I should have joyfully employed all my reasoning powers with their utmost skill and activity to have found out this inference and engrafted it into my soul Holy Father, how can such weak creatures ever take in so strange, so difficult, and so obtruse a doctrine as this? And can this strange and perplexing notion of three real persons going to make up one true God be so necessary and so important a part of that Christian doctrine, which, in the Old Testament and in the New, is represented as so plain and so easy, even to the meanest understanding? End quote. That's from Watts' Works, Volume 7, pages 476 through one, uh, 477, Leeds Editor. But to fully ascertain his views on the subject before us, the whole of the writing writings of Dr. Watts on the doctrine of the Trinity and the person of Jesus Christ must be read. The vocabulary of his nursery creed, is, it is probable to some extent, the doctor retained long after he had abandoned the creed itself. The ambiguity of his language, his manifest desire to be in good standing with men of principles very different from his own, his destitution of ecclesiastical character, and his defect in a well-settled principle of religious belief, render it somewhat difficult to find his precise position. He often used the language of the orthodox but claimed the right to explain the terms in his own way and to press them into an agreement with his own peculiar opinion. Thus scraps taken from his works may be, as they have been, with what degree of intelligence and honesty we say not, adduced to prove him orthodox. While taken in their full and proper connection, they prove no such thing but the reverse. Whatever obscurity from the ambiguity of his language and other causes may hang over his views the following facts admit of no doubt that is that Dr. W. was an anti-Trinitarian and that the distinct divine personality of the Son of God as equal with the Father had no place in his acknowledged creed the labors of his life in which he manifested more than his usual mental vigor were in direct opposition to the orthodox faith on this whole subject. Thus, the, quote, address, quote, from which the foregoing quotation is taken, speaks in a style that forbids us to misunderstand him, and the pers- suppressed pieces to which that paper was prefixed may reasonably be supposed to have had nothing contradictory to its sentiments. His discourses on the glory of Christ before mentioned and his useful questions are all in the same spirit. In the first of these questions, he asks, quote, What is the true meaning of the name Son of God given to Christ in the New Testament? End quote. He, in reply, adduces and remarks upon several scriptures and averts to the views of the Orthodox as, including, and, quote, Eternal generation of the person of the Son by the person of the Father, in the sameness of the divine essence, consubstantial, co equal, and co eternal with the Father. End quote. And then adds, quote, I am persuaded this can never be the sense of this name in those texts, for if this be never so true, Yet it is confessed to be inconceivable, and I do not think the gracious God would put such a difficult task upon the faith of young disciples. Then he averts to the referring of quote the sonship of Christ rather to his human nature or to his office of Messiah than to such an eternal generation. He farther says, quote, Christ considered as the Son of God is throughout represented as dependent on the Father for all and receiving all from the Father, which is hardly consistent with the idea of supreme Godhead if that were included in sonship, End quote. Again, in the same strain, he refers to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28, and Philippians 2, and asserts, quote, that the Son of God is not depressed but exalted by the economy of the mediatorial kingdom, that that kingdom shall be given up and then the Son of God as son shall be depressed, be brought down to his original state of inferiority. Thus he writes, considered as a son, he is naturally subject to the father and at the end of this economical exaltation he shall return to his natural subjection and shall be ever shall be so forever end quote. quote his sonship may be better referred to to by his inferior nature or to his office end quote dr w in his theory admits the son of the son to be god not quote by nature end quote but as related to the creator this naturally inferior son christ as a distinct person is only a creature inferior to God, but being related to the divine nature it it but being related to the divine nature is, because of that created relation, called God. In the third of these useful questions, the doctor asks could the Son of God prop quote, could the Son of God properly enter into a covenant with the Father to do and suffer what was necessary for our redemption without a human soul, end quote? He states the orthodox views of the subject, but proceeds to represent them as self-contradictory and to be abandoned. According to him, the covenant of redemption was made between the one person in God, that is, the Father, for he admits of only one person in Jehovah and his, the doctor's, supposed super-angelic spirit created before all worlds and the creator of the world, which absurdly enough he calls the human soul of Christ. Then he says, quote, "If we suppose the human soul of Christ to have been a pre- to have a pre-existing state of joy before the world was created, these expressions, the scriptures that speak on the subject are great and noble, are just and true End quote." But if we take them in the Orthodox view as to the divine personality of the Savior, he says quote, then all these have very little justice or propriety in them. End quote. He adds quote, according to the common, the orthodox explication of the doctrine of the persons in the Trinity, we can have no ideas under all their glorious and affectionate representations of this transaction. End quote. And again, quote, one of these beings or persons covenanting seems to be inferior to the other. End quote. quote if we give ourselves leave to conceive of the human soul of Christ in its preexistent state as to the, and it's a Greek word, P-R-O-T-O-T-O-K-O-J, the first form of every creature, then here are proper subjects for these federal transactions. End quote. In the fourth of his questions, he asks, quote, Is the Godhead of Christ and the Godhead of the Father one and the same? This question he answers in the affirmative. But what does he mean? The ambiguity of his language and his confusion of thought are well calculated to entrap and deceive the unwary and to furnish a momentary countenance for an unfair advocate of his orthodoxy. The Godhead of the Father and of the Son is the same, he admits. The Godhead is a unit. It is one. According to his scheme, in that Godhead, naturally and eternity, eternally, there is but one person, the Father. The pre-existent soul or spirit of Christ is a mere creature, has no deity of its own, but as an exalted and favored creature is related in a near friendship with the Father, and in vir- virtue of this relation or created union can lay some claim to deity, strip his language of its ambiguity and his thought of its indistinctness, and in the scheme of Dr. W., the question would be, quote, Is God the Father the Godhead of Christ? End quote. And the answer would be, Yes. The doctor's denial of distinct persons, naturally and eternally, in the one Jehovah and his doctrine of the pre-existence of the human soul of Christ which really is no human soul at all fills his whole scheme with error and spreads over it a bewildering confusion in his deprecations of test of orthodoxy the doctor was sufficiently explicit and in his refusal of consent to such a measure at the meetings of Salters Hall that's S-A-L-T-E-R-S hall where it was discussed with sufficient earnestness and urged by Mr. Bradbury and others he was consistent for him an orthodox test would not have been safe in a letter to Dr. Coleman of February 11th 1747 accompanying his volume on the glory of Christ Dr. Watts says quote I think I have said everything concerning the Son of God, which Scripture says, but I could not go so far as to say with some orthodox divines that the Son is equal with the Father, end quote. And in his preface and introduction to his treatise on the Trinity, published in 1722, 26 years before his death, he admits of a Trinity, but mark his language, quote, three such agents or principles of action as may reasonably be called persons, principles of action, figurative but not real persons. As an anti-Trinitarian and opposer of the truth on the subject of the divine personality of the Redeemer, he was understood by his contemporaries, the justly justly distinguished author of the volumes on the great mystery of godliness the Reverend Thomas Bradbury and this is a footnote the advocate of Dr. Watts admit Mr. Bradbury to have been a man of wit a man of genius but to diminish the weight of his testimony add quote he was a man of spleen end quote the enlightened and serious reader of the volumes on the mystery of godliness will not thus judge in those volumes he will trace the operations of a mind deeply imbued with the love of truth and of a spirit that was no stranger to the tender sensibilities of evangelical religion Thomas Bradbury in 17 and so now the footnote after the footnote in 1725 charged Dr. W with making the divinity of Christ to evaporate into a mere attribute end quote and at a subsequent period said to the doctor, It is pity after you have been more than 30 years a teacher of others, you are yet to learn the first principles of the oracles of God. Was Dr. Owen's church to be taught another Jesus, that the Son and the Spirit were only two powers in the divine nature? Dr. Doddridge was his personal friend, companion, and admirer, he was capable of understanding and certainly cannot be suspected of any disposition to misrepresent the principles of Dr. W., from which perhaps his own were not very different. Attend to the statement of Dr. Doddridge on this subject, For as much as there is such a change in humiliation asserted concerning Christ as could not properly be asserted concerning an eternal and immutable being, As such, there is reason to believe that Christ had, before his incarnation, a created or derived nature which would admit of such a change, end quote. Watch Discussion on the Trinity, number 3, Works, volume 6, pages 518 to 584. See Doddridge, volume 2, page 154. Again, quote, Dr. Watts maintains one supreme God dwelling in the human nature of Christ which he supposes to have existed the first of all creatures and speaks of the divine logos as the wisdom of God and the Holy Spirit as the divine power or the influence and effect of it, which he says is a scriptural all caps person i.e. spoken of figuratively in scripture under personal characters. Watts Discussion, number 7, Works, Volume 6, page 630. End quote. See Doddridge, Volume 2, page 193. He also referred Christ being the only begotten Son of God, quote, to his being the promised Messiah, or to his extraordinary conception and exalted to his kingdom as mediator. End quote. See Doddridge, Volume 2, page 178. President Edwards thus understood Dr W and urges 14 distinct arguments against his hypothesis concerning Jesus Christ. He had this remark, quote, "According to what seems to be Dr Watt's scheme, the son of God is no distinct divine person from the Father." End quote. And that's from Edwards' essays that his son The late Dr. Edwards viewed the subject in a similar light Is more than presumable from the fact that he transcribed these arguments of his venerable father for the press. The same conclusion may be drawn in respect to Dr. Er Erskine of Edinburgh from the interest he took on the publication of these essays of the president of Nassau Hall and from the special notice which he takes of that part of them containing the refutation of the scheme of Dr. W. In the same light are these writings of Dr. W understood by the venerable Dr. Anderson. And um, footnote, uh, Latin term, page 73, footnote number 7, quote, He taught, says Dr. A, quote, that the Holy Spirit is not a person really distinct from the Father the divine power that there are no real distinct persons in the Godhead. End quote. In a similar point of view is the sub- subject contemplated by the Reverend James R. Wilson, W. I. L. L. S. O. N. In his very interesting history of the opinions of the on the atonement. Here the confession of another; it is that of Doctor Eli. We cannot deny, says Dr. E., that Dr. Watt's treatise has wrought much mischief. It was the book which first turned the head of the Reverend John Sherman. We wish the pernicious consequences of that treatise had terminated here. And that's uh, footnote number 8, Reverend number 2, page 221. In the same page, we are informed that Mr. Allison, late chaplain to Congress last January, preached the heresy to our representatives and gave Dr. W. as the author of the doctrine. Such were the opinions of Dr. W. written and left on record by himself, and thus have these opinions been understood by Bradbury, Doddridge, the two Edwards, Erskine, Anderson, Wilson, Eli, and others. And it is notorious that every anti-Trinitarian who has read his works claims him as of that school. His solemn address admits of no explanation. If ever man is serious in the expression of his sentiments, it is when he addresses God. And if ever he expresses those sentiments with precision, it is when he writes them. Dr. W. has done both. He ventured to tell his maker that the doctrine of three real persons in the Godhead is a strange and perplexing notion which we cannot receive and which is not even inferable from the whole contents of the book of God. The truth is, quote, comparatively few divines of any class at the darkened period in which Dr. W. lived and wrote held out the glimmering land of sound evangelical instruction, end quote. And that's footnote number nine, Christ observations. Giving too much weight to the gambles of the imagination, it, quote, occasionally carried him out, says his friends, into moral and sentimental excursions beyond the usual limits of plain evangelical truth, end quote. And that's the same um, uh, quotation or same uh, footnote number nine it was, Christ's observations. And according to the historian of the English dissenters, Boge, B-O-G-U-E, from these excursions it was no easy task to bring him back. Childishly fond of something new over the creatures of his fancy, he doted with an overweening affection, not because they were legitimate, but because they were his own. What upon this fundamental subject were the views of Dr. W.? Certainly not those of Christianity, they might be those of a slightly modified arianism but not less gross or erroneous than those of the Alexandrian presbyter. The scheme of both was really a form of the old oriental gnosticism. The superangelic spirit of Arius and Watts was but an aeon of the agnostics of the gnostics. The scheme of W may be gnosticism but Christianity it is not. We understand his scheme, as did Bradbury, Doddridge, Edwards, and perhaps as everyone understands him who attentively re- read his works. Why then be specially reproached for understanding what they understood and for saying what they said, that these vagaries of the doctor were neither the fruits of youthful indiscretion nor of the infirmities of advanced years, he assures us himself. In the preface to his useful questions, he certifies his readers that, quote, these papers are the product of that part of his life when his powers of mind and body were in full vigor, end quote, that he abandoned them at a late period of his life, it would be grateful to be assured of, but of the fact no evidence has been given. The well-meant attempt of Mr. Toplady to prove it, it is well known, was a failure and his permission of the continuance of the orthodox phraseology of his poetry will not do it. The doctor's correspondence with Mr. Martin Topkins, an anti-Trinitarian, will explain why he did not alter, as he wished to do, the sentiments of his religious poetry. The language of poetry is no certain index of the principles of the poet. The modern transcendentalist is often poetic in his theology, and in an evangelical strain he can take, talk, take the language of Rutherford and Owen and Edwards and talk of a close walk with God and of an intimate communion with him. The pantheonism of transcendentalists allows them thus to speak a very spiritual language while they may mean no more than their, than their exposure to a July sun or a December frost, to a gentle shower or a storm of hail. The poetry of fancy will not do away the heresy of prose. This brings to mind a remarkable coincidence. Bardesanus of Edessa, that's B-A-R-D-E-S-A-N-E-S, of Edessa, E-D-E-S-S-A, of the 2nd century and Watts of Southampton of the 18th century were both distinguished for their advocacy of error and both were poets and are the only poets, as far as recollected, who attempted an imitation of the book of Psalms, each in a book of 150 Psalms. If history is to be credited, the Gnostic, as a poet, was not inferior to him of Southampton. But why should the suggestion of a doubt as to the orthodoxy of Dr. W. produce so much sensibility? Why not contend with equal zeal of the soundness of Robinson and Priestley? No man will hesitate to place Robinson, the author of the village sermons, and Watts in the same rank as to orthodoxy. The same Robinson, the author of ecclesiastical researches, and Priestley, the historian of early opinions, were fellow laborers in the same cause of heresy. Why then separate Watts, Robinson, and Priestley? They were all learned and amiable men, and all equally mistaken in the first principles of true religion the object and medium of worship. Is it because Watts gave a book of psalms to orthodox churches? To the religious principles of her psalmist, the church cannot be indifferent, and to none of his works, when they come in the way of her members, are they likely to be indifferent. The works of Dr. W. are in market, and in the gossip of the religious newspapers of the day, his name is celebrated as divine. The title by which the Spirit of God has designated an inspired poet and prophet is transferred to him, the sweet psalmist of Israel, and his verses have been elevated to the place of the displaced psalms of inspiration. Yet where is the enlightened Christian of any name who, knowing what he was doing, would put in the hand of his son or into that of any serious inquirer after fundamental truth the useful questions concerning Jesus Christ by Dr. W or his more ingenious and labored work the glory of Christ by those in the use of his hymns in the psalmody of the church no note of warning is sounded indicating the danger of his errors his works have for a time perplexed many and finally perverted others and when the temptation to heresy has the sanction of the name of the sweet psalmist of the church the evil work among her members will take its course. These considerations justly this notice of these fatal errors. I'm sorry, these considerations justify this notice of these fatal errors. The interest too of historical verity have some claim to our regard. The defense of reputation against unfounded imputations of no very generous character may be left to time without farther remark. It ought to be felt by Christians that the leading psalmist of their church should have been a professed believer and advocate of the truth, respecting the God of Israel. The influence which his name is likely to exert upon the faith of the church demands this. But such, however, was not the profession and advocacy of the Southampton poet. This ends the reading of Isaac Watts' Heresies on the Trinity and Person of Jesus Christ Exposed from the appendices of an Apology for the Book of Psalms in five letters addressed to the Friends of Union in the Church of God by the Rev. Gilbert McMaster, Doctor of Divinity, 4th edition, Philadelphia, Daniels and Smith, 36 North 6th Street, 1852. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources as well as SWRB's complete mail order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at at, at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L 3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add, that's add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line this book isaac watts heresies on the trinity and person of jesus christ exposed is available also for stillwaters revival books in soft cover format at a discount in our a to z author listings and please don't forget to look over the 62 cds that make up our reformation bookshelf and puritan bookshelf cd sets if you visit our website at swrb.com As DCDs are a great way to build a major reform library at a fraction of the cost of the printed book.